friends, welcome to episode 238 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all, help, all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. And I am super full for dinner. <laughs> yes, and this is proof that we are a live show and we make mistakes, and oh, that's perfectly fine. We uh, we had a little, little Friendsgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to yes. all of our listeners in the States who celebrate uh, and... Uh, yeah. Those those who just have turkey, yeah, right. Because oh. oh my god, was that good? Uh, for those of you not in the states, uh, Thanksgiving's a holiday where we kind of just get get together. Typically, it we eats. eat like turkey. It's a lot of food and stuffing, yeah, or dressing and oh, vegetables so and oh, it's my an god. excuse to eat a lot of food and sometimes, depending on which home it is, watch football. Yep. Um. Yeah. I I distinctly remember as a kid, uh, the Lions game. Mm-hmm. was a huge thing for us out of Detroit here. You know, we'd always watch the Lions, regardless of how well they were doing. That that was irrelevant. Well, I mean, the Lions always suck. So, right, you know. I mean. But at the same time, but it was part of the ritual of you eat, you have dessert, you watch oh, yeah. the Lions game, you fall asleep. You know, or you witness those who do fall asleep. Traditionally, you know? we'd be uh, we'd be in Buffalo, New York. Uh, oh, yeah. My family, uh, my, uh, my, my grandmother's house at mm-hmm. the time. And... Uh, so we would, she would do, you know, we would, the, the, the cooking, spread. the cooking from dawn. Oh yeah, the gigantic table, the whole extended family there. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, more food than God, and uh, yeah, yeah, then then you know the the, the men folk would retire to the uh, uh, to the to the living room. And mm-hmm. They they would hoot and holler at the at the the games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'd be more than just the one game. They obviously. had a they had a billiards table in their basement, oh. and so we would we would retire after the football was done to yep. the, to the billiards game uh, tables and yep yep play some friendly games of pool against each other. Yes, the 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 funnest of games. Yeah, yeah. We uh, I I only remember a couple Thanksgivings that were not at home mm-hmm. at my parents' place. Um, but we'd always end up moving the TV out into the, uh, one of the TVs out into the other room. Oh yeah. Just for the game to be played, you know, watched out there yep. kind of a thing. Yep. So that was always, uh, was always part of the equation for mm-hmm. that. So, but, uh, yeah. Ooh, good food. Oh, so full, so full. Right on. And I'm not like a master chef by any means. I literally picked up a Costco kind of like prepackaged. Here's some instructions. Good yeah, luck, dude. It was so good. It really turned out good. Like I, I'm I, here's the thing. I'm like I said, I'm I'm picky about my turkey mm-hmm. because usually tur- turkey and pork are really easy meats to just dry. Oh, out, completely, completely. You know? Um, and this turkey was super moist and yeah. just really, just really delicious. So mm-hmm. yeah, hat, hats off to to honestly good packaging. Yeah. Let me get that right. They they did a, a fine job. Right on. So, that being said, uh, let's see. We haven't any games. Uh, my uh, game's coming up in a week and a half. Yeah, it's not too much uh, longer. It's, it's yeah. on uh, December 2nd, so yep. uh, that'll be the end of Act 2 going into Act 3. So yes, the, kind of, your big turn. Kind of yeah. expect some, some, some fireworks there. Loving it, uh, loving and, it. And uh, hoping that one lands the way that I'm planning it on. You know, it, it'll always land the way it does. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's never bad, it's never fantastic, but y- it hits that sweet spot in between of, like, I got what I wanted accomplished. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, hopes and dreams. But, uh... uh and we had, uh, we had Mouse Guard, uh... Did we? Uh, was... We talked about it previously. We talked month. about it, yeah, yeah, yeah so okay. it's more than two okay, I was like, yeah. we've talked about this, Yeah, so. yeah. So, I was like, I was sitting here talking to you about this, so I know this was something we discussed. Right on. So, because we talked about, uh... 
uh, our after game review and oh, how yeah, how yeah. Matt is really great about taking that. So yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about it. So tonight's show uh, is kind of a cheat and kind of not for me, and that is because uh, for months I was trying to come up with like a new thing to put in the Instagram. La- this uh, for the the first time I was doing uh, fifty two. Uh, ways to uh, to look at uh, storytelling and, and get better at it. Like, mm-hmm. a, kind of our one-on-ones did, but really short shot. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I think it came up pretty well. I mm-hmm. think there was a lot of great commentary, and I loved it. And I was like, okay, what the heck am I going to do next? And I kept talking, like, when we do System Spotlights, I talk about mechanics that I love that I'm going to steal. Like, I'm just going to take this right out. Yeah, sure. And I was like, well, can I condense those down to, like, an instagram size something to make it work? And mm-hmm. I think it's working out pretty well. We're only a couple weeks into it, and we've gotten some pretty good comments on it as well. But I was like, "Let's do a show. Let's just talk about it a, more than yeah, just an we've, Instagram post." We've, we've been we've been saying for two hundred and thirty some episodes now that yeah. we're you know oh yeah st- God we're gonna steal this mechanic from yeah. my game you know so yeah like let's talk about stealing mechanics let's have a little yeah. swap me you know yeah yeah um but there's there's more to be said on why. And I, I think that's, like, we've come to some terms as to why this is even a better idea. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and this is one of those things I I don't I, – I think the fact that we, we do our monthly system spotlights really helped, really encouraged this. Mm-hmm, but I think both you and I were well-versed in multiple game systems enough that we kind of already, you know, had that sort of cross-pollinization Very much so. Very much going. so. Um, and so, like, really, I, I think one of the big takeaways we, we kind of want to express in the show is this is the value of reading other game systems. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but uh, I kind of have a habit. Some, sometimes it was for a system spotlight, sometimes not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, going up to RAW and just seeing what they have. RAW, sorry, is our friendly, is our, our local game store. Yeah. Um, going up to, to our game store there and seeing, you know, what they have in stock and even if I don't necessarily intend on buying the game or like running the game, mm-hmm. you know, um, there are several game systems that I've just picked up mm-hmm. just because I know they're good game systems. Yeah. And I know that they have something to say about how to run that style of genre or how to run that style of, um, you know, a combat system or an exploration system or something like that. You know, yeah. I've picked I, I haven't. Just picked up raw at a uh, local gaming store. I used to do it at conventions because mm-hmm. I would go through uh, the uh, vendors' room and I'd find that one vendor who had like, you know, boxes of gaming old used gaming books. Oh yeah, and I would go through them for the books that I wanted. But then I'd also bump into other game systems that I'd mm-hmm. heard about, and now I can get it, you know, used at like half price. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I'll pick this up to see what it's like. You know, what did I miss from this? What didn't I get to try? Yeah, sure. Um, but lately for me, it's been a lot of, like, especially with our system spotlights, like something will point to something else. Like I'll be doing a system spotlight on something, and I'll read somebody's review, and they'll reference something I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And that leads me down a rabbit hole, and I'm like, eh, I'm on RPG, and it's like five bucks. I'll pick it up. Like, yeah, man. Whatever. Like. For- for five bucks, sure, yeah. absolutely. But, you know, but I've, I've paid a pretty penny for some. Like when I was at uh, Gen Con this year, I picked up some new games mm-hmm. because, again, I was interested in the system to see how they handled a certain thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just for that reason, I've I've gone out now. I will say this to a lot of our listeners who don't either a have the opportunity to get to a local game store or conventions or other things. You know, we do appreciate you listening and listening to our system spotlights. Um, because we do give you that access. We yeah, give sure. you a little bit of insight into a game system that you may not have had and that a that maybe a YouTube clip didn't give you enough information on. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is 
This little show now is going to be even more of an insight into a portion of something. Yeah. And, and that little portion, if it sparks you enough, go pick up, go, go buy the PDF, go, go to drive to RPG and pick it up. Sure. So that's, that's the, that's one of the entry points that I see because I, I see it as something that we look, we talk about cooking as a metaphor with gaming. Yeah. 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 Making, you know, the meat and potatoes of the game. Right. I kind of see this as like, try Thai, you know, or or try Indian. Try Japanese. What is their meat and potatoes? What does it look like? How does that taste? Because it's it's not the same. It's not steak and potato. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's pork and potato. Maybe it's, you know, some kind of a curry, like is is the dish. Like, I remember when someone told me that ceviche is the meatloaf of of the Caribbean. Uh-huh. Like it's what mom would make when she was lazy and just needed to throw some stuff together and I was like that is the greatest metaphor it's what, ever. Fish and lime juice? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's like literally just throw fish and lime juice in a bag with some other flavors and throw it in the fridge and leave it there. And I'm like that does sound like meatloaf. Honestly, the cooks the fish. Correct. Yeah. Like but but yeah, it's 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 about basically sampling other cultures' cuisines. It's about mm-hmm. playing, you know, playing different games, seeing different systems, and seeing what you like. Like it's a big appetizer sampler, you know. Yeah. And and sometimes you may find something, you know, very much like when you go out to a restaurant and you're like, I didn't know this flavor existed. I need this. I need this in my life. You know, mm-hmm. how do I make this? Can I look up a YouTube tutorial? And now suddenly, you know, you're stocking. You know, authentic Indian curry paste. Sure. You know, in your fridge on a regular, like like me, I'm never without a giant jug of soy sauce, mm-hmm. mirin, mm-hmm. dashi, mm-hmm. bonito flakes. Yep. You know, I'm I'm hooked on Japanese. I don't have a drop of Japanese blood in me, but you know, you freaking well, you were I, there as well. Well, I mean, I visited for a little bit and I yeah. did study the language in, in in high school way back in the day. But like, but you fell in love with the food. But Japanese cuisine is something that is that is a regular in in regular rotation. Yeah. In 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 our in our home and you know it's it's because i tried it i liked it Mm -hmm. and i decided that that was something i wanted you know on the regular and it's the same thing with game systems Mm -hmm. you you find these other game systems you sample their cuisine Mm -hmm. and you're gonna find little nuggets of rules or 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 systems that you like Mm -hmm. that expressed a game and uh you know or, or a theme or something like that or handled a situation in a way that you had never thought to do before yeah. or or you you tried it once and it captured the imagination of your players and mm-hmm. your table came alive like you've never seen before you can't put that back in the box no you know no. you've got to bottle that lightning and and you know serve it up at every single time and and i think there's another aspect to that and that is the people who don't experience it and you know maybe maybe you've done this before where like your your game system worldly as mm-hmm. I like to call it, and one of your friends is like, "Hey, I'm homebrewing this system. That's this. It's a special magic system, and it's going to be different than than anything else. So, yeah. so within that system, so like when someone's trying to cast something, instead of it just being like fireballs specific thing, it's really just generic, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm just going to put a generic damage against it, and they can call it or whatever they want, and you're like. Go oh. on. You're oh. talking about Savage World. Okay, so po- so Savage World's power is cool. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they're like, what? <laughs> and like, that's the thing is, is that just by doing this, you might be able to experience something that you think you should homebrew, mm-hmm. and come to find out someone's done it. Probably three iterations into it, they've tested it, they've played it, and and you can see it. The rules are there. Yeah. Now I'm not saying don't homebrew, but what I am saying is, is there are things you can borrow. 
it's 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 less about don't homebrew and more about work smarter not harder there you go if the rules and and systems are already there and already do the thing that you want to do mm-hmm. just just lift them man yeah just lift them it's fine so let's talk know? about that lift yeah like what makes a mechanic transportable before we get into some uh yeah because because the thing is like not all like you talk about stealing mechanics from one game system to another yep. you know how do you go from like a dice pool system and lift a mechanic out of that and add it to your d20 D D game not all of them are gonna work you know so um I, and i think that that's the big things is that not all mechanics are going to be able to be stolen yeah, yeah. I, I i would have to say that you you need to kind of set some rules about what you're thinking about mm-hmm. it to do, and not just grab whole cloth and redesign your system, the core system, to fit it, right? Yeah, yeah. You need to think about, like, what does this mechanic achieve for you? What are you getting out of it? Right, right. What is it expressing in in, in, in terms of your story and stuff like that that you're not getting out of your current rule system? Yeah, may, maybe it's something for the story. Maybe it's something for the players to experience to mm-hmm. help with the setting or the theme. You know, may, maybe it's something to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the other big thing is, is that out of what that mechanic gives you, do you need the whole thing? Right, right. Um, so like one of the, one of the things that we were talking about was like uh, the interludes from, mm-hmm. from Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so interludes in Savage Worlds, we've gone over this guy, you know, a handful of times in case you're new to this. Um, interludes are real simple. They're basically just um, um, taking a moment to allow your, your characters your players to tell stories from their character's perspective mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be long. Yeah. Just, you know, how are you feeling about this? Or tell us a little story about something that might've happened on the road mm-hmm. or, you know, it it's a be, little guided. It can, it's, it's a little guided. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they give a, uh, uh, a sort of a sample random chart in the mm-hmm. in the book where you can draw a card and that card gives you a suggestion for what you can tell a story about. Yep. But again, it's entirely up to you. Um and it's really just to kind of get your your character's story out there, get their backstory out there. So even if the other characters don't know it, the players do. Mhm. So they, it's you know, cinematically, like if you're in a TV show, it's almost like those scenes where you're just you just got the camera on the one character. Mm-hmm. What are they doing behind closed doors? Yeah, or what are they? What story are they telling to the group that you know has more meaning behind it? Why? Yeah. Why are they silent by the fire? Well, they're remembering someone they lost. Exactly, and that's an internal monologue, you know, to you. Mm-hmm. But but if you're telling that story about how you're. You're thinking about this long lost love. Well, okay, maybe, again, maybe the characters don't know it, but the players do, and they get to share in that aspect of your character. But within that mechanic, when they do that, it is the storyteller because, because again, it's open to them to do. They yep. don't have to. Yep. But when they do, they're granted a Benny, mm-hmm. and that Benny is a is a, a, oh, a, a currency, meta, a, a meta currency token. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, within the game, now obviously, if you're playing in D and D, that. Benny doesn't have weight to the right. game. You don't have Bennies in D and D, so what do you do? You know, um, and and so the question you kind of need to ask yourself is: Do you need to have some sort of a reward for it? Yeah. Or can you just pull the whole? You know, take a moment to talk about your character. You know, in uh, in game, mm-hmm. can you just pull that? Like, do do you need the Benny reward? And that's that's something you have to ask yourself mm-hmm. that I think is in it. Um, so that you have to, you know, are you trying to help the players talk more about their characters? Right. Okay, so I need the mechanic. Is it because they are not and they need encouragement? 
Okay, so you may need to figure out a way to adapt that. Yes. But don't go farther than that. Mm -hmm. Don't feel that you have to completely redesign 4th edition or 5th edition to to fit the requirement of this. Right. And Just because Benny is a thing. Well, exactly. And don't think that just because it says you get a Benny in Suede means that you need to then insert Bennies into D&D. Yeah. You have kind of a meta currency in D anD D, and that's inspiration. I, and I think it would be a great, a, a great sell. Just like you get a point of inspiration for that. Yeah, Thank you exactly. Very much. And I think that's a great reason to give him a point of inspiration, especially in fifth edition. Absolutely. So you know, so so that's that's kind of how we're talking about stealing a mechanic is f- find what the core of it is. Yep. Identify that it does something your current game needs. Mm-hmm. Lift it and see how well you can translate it and yep. be flexible about things like meta currencies and bonuses and penalties and whatnot. All of your games will have things like bonuses and penalties. Mm-hmm. You'll need to do a little bit of squinting and, and smudging to, to, to make things fit. But yep. I guarantee a lot of these are able to be lifted. Okay. All yeah. right. Let's do a few. How do you want to do this? I'll go first. Okay. Rob? Yes. You've been running games for a long time, and across multiple different game systems, yes? I have. I definitely have. Now, in those uh, in those uh, the, those years that you've been running these games, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you've run game systems that have um, some sort of a dice pool mechanic, or you've got some sort of a mechanic that accrues you multiple successes. Oh, yeah. You're trying to reach a threshold, right? Yeah, definitely done that. So you roll your dice, how whatever that whatever form that takes. You may only need three successes, but you accrue five. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Have you ever left yourself wondering, what do I do with those excess two successes? Way too many times. They seem wasted. Yeah. You've reached the threshold. You've succeeded at your task. 7C, actually, the second edition has that exact problem. Mm -hmm. This is that if you've got multiple players at the table and you're trying to get through a situation that has not only challenges that need to be achieved, but also um, complications and bonuses... You can easily go beyond that and have extras. Yeah, absolutely. And they're just sitting there, and they, they're just they're just lost to the yeah. wind. So, to solve this problem, mm-hmm. may I suggest we take a look at from the two D twenty system by Modifius, the threat and momentum system. Now, the threat and momentum system is a, is a direct answer to what do I do with all those extra successes? Okay. 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 In Modifius, you're going to roll two d20, or m- multiple d20s anyways. You're going to form a day die pool out of them, and um, your number of successes is essentially the difficulty. Now, if you score higher than those number of successes, those successes aren't wasted. They go into a pool called Momentum. Okay. Now, this is a collective pool that sits in the middle of your table. Okay. All of your players may partake of it. Ooh. So, uh, it... it, it Every it's it's not just one player doing well, you know, mm-hmm. with 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 their roles. It it helps the whole group. Everybody can 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 get from this. Sure. Um, and momentum is 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 a meta currency, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, uh, it, from from a from a story standpoint. Sure. Okay. Um, but what happens later is, uh, if you need more dice, if you're not looking so good, 
you mm-hmm. can dip into that momentum pool and purchase more dice for your dice pool. Okay. And so essentially what you're doing is you're banking those successes for a chance at success later. Okay, I like this. You're setting yourself up for success, hence the momentum. You're already doing good. Maybe that past good can carry you through to present good. I like in it. In a rough spot. I like it. Now, it comes with a separate mechanic. Ooh. This mechanic is called threat. Ooh. Okay. Threat is the opposite of momentum. Okay. Okay. Now, say you roll your dice and you are in a deficit mm-hmm. of successes. You needed three, but you only accrued one. Mm-hmm. Okay? You can buy those other two successes with threat. Ooh. That threat goes into the storyteller's pool, mm. which at a later time, I can start adding in complications for you or make tasks more difficult where I feel would be dramatically... Uh, uh, worthy to do so. This reminds me of that that kind of go back and forth reminds me of first edition 7C with yeah, drama dice. Yeah, exactly. When you spend a drama die, it goes into the storyteller's pool. Because drama goes both ways. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I I suggest this is something that's easily transplantable into, uh, into different game systems. Okay? Oh, yeah, I would agree. Um, so... Uh, multiple different systems. I, I know that we've had this problem at, at Mouse Guard. Before. Yeah, yeah. Like Mouse Guard, we sometimes we we working together as a patrol mm-hmm. um, have absolutely blown uh, our storyteller's socks off with mm-hmm. uh, successes with with the number of successes we've rolled. Mm-hmm. And again, those are just he. All we do with those is just kind of go, "Wow, that was a lot," mm-hmm. and we still succeeded. Mm-hmm. What if those got banked somewhere? Mm-hmm. You know, what if those went into the middle of the middle of the table then, and then in a later roll when someone's only got two dice or something like that, they can say, "I'm going to spend two momentum and grab a couple more dice here." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I even think that this works for something with a that, that, that rolls like a single die, like uh, like D twenty. Mm-hmm. You know, I still, uh, you know, I, I I think it's it's possible. You know, the the advantage the, the the mechanics for advantage already work. Yes, are already there. So, so grabbing a die and now you get to roll on advantage. Yeah, maybe you don't spend two or three momentum at a time, but maybe a momentum gets you mm-hmm. an advantage on it. Or mm-hmm. maybe it just gets you a, pl- a flat, like, plus four or something like that. You sure. Know? Um, but easily transplantable, where if you if you beat over the success, you gain momentum. And if you go under the success, you can still buy the success by, by giving the threat to the storyteller. Mm-hmm. And it makes things a little more interesting at the table, I think. No, I like it a lot. I think it's a great system. I, I think it's a great piece of mechanic that could be thrown into a lot of different options. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could see that being a very heroic mechanic. I believe so, yes. So for making a system that is more gritty feel way more heroic. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could turn something as much as like uh, Forged in the Dark, or sorry, not Forged in the Dark, um, uh, Morkborg, a little more heroic with something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to trying to trying to remember what Merk, Merkborg's uh, uh, dice mechanics were off the top of my head. Was it's it a little just... gritty. Yeah, it's basic and gritty. But the idea being that now you have a chance, you have a secondary chance for success. Yep. In there, and I, yep. I like that idea. I mm-hmm. like that feeling. It it almost puts it in the Dark Souls realm again. Well, you know? and and two, keep in mind that you know uh, we talk about this on a one to one basis, right? But you know, who's to say that you know if you're running a gritty dark game like Merkborg, you can't make it really expensive to buy extra dice with momentum maybe it costs two or three momentum to buy even a single die 
whereas threat comes very easily. Yeah, you could adjust it just a little bit to create to change that up. Exactly. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, what do you got? Hmm. Sarah. Yes, Rob. You run games. I do. Pretty often, and you've ran a couple different systems now. Sure. You I, I distinctly in the last uh few games that systems that I remember, you've gone through Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh you've gone through D&D. Yep. You've gone through uh Adventure. Yes. And these games inherently don't have uh very good resource systems. So when someone says, you know, I want to go shopping, mm-hmm. it's kind of feels willy nilly about handling that. Yeah, um, you're you're kind of left with the choice of either tracking every last penny your character has in a, in a hard currency system, yeah. or something very abstract like the wealth die in, in Savage World. Right. Yes. So, it, and you never quite know what they have, what they don't have, and how much they should have. Yeah, it's a bit wishy washy. Yeah, yeah. How about I help you with the system? Okay. To manage those resources, any resource better. Oh, I'd like that. Okay. So instead of having to log gear, okay. right, we use a simple die-based system okay. where basically they start with a D20, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, bullets are a great example of this. When your gun's shooting, how, much bullets do, how many bullets do I have left, right? When that resource comes into question, they roll the D20. Okay. If they roll, roll over a certain threshold... They still have resources for it. But if they don't, they're reloading. And the die goes from a 20 to a 12. Oh, I see. And that keeps reducing as the failure rates go down till eventually they're out. Now, you could set the threshold less than a d20. You could start it at a d12 if you wanted to. Sure, sure. But the idea is is that as as they use up resources, and by the way, bullets is just the start, now they need something else. Well, that resource die has not changed. Now they have to pick that resource die up and try it again. Mm-hmm. Do they have that resource? So the idea is, is now you don't have to keep track of anything, nor even multiple dice. They just have a resource die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you could break that up by the type of resource if you really wanted to make it a little more finite, or just leave it at that style. The one thing that I do like that where this resource dice, in this case, comes from Forbidden Lands, is that... Uh, Forge in the Dark uses the same type of mechanic, but adds a little different take on it. Okay. So, multiple times we'll have characters that go from an in a, a, a safe situation, maybe in a town or something, to where they're going dungeoneering, right? Sure. Or they're heading out into space. So their gear ratio changes, right? Sure, sure. Now in Forge in the Dark, you can say, hey, how much gear are you taking? And the answer is, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure I have everything I need. Okay, so you're going to have a heavy load. Mm-hmm. That means that you can't stealth, or all your stealth checks are at a much higher rate. Right. And that could be stealth, acrobatics, athletics, things like that. We're not specifying what you have. Correct. But we are specifying you have a lot of it. Right, which means now you can make up, let's say, six things at random when you need them. Once you have those, they're done. Yeah. But those are things you definitely have yes. without question. There are six slots ready to go. Mm-hmm. So do you need 100 feet of rope? You have 100 feet of rope. Sure. Did you need, you know, uh, caltrips? You've got caltrips. But those but, two slots right there. Correct. Rope and caltrops. Right. And if you're left, if you've only got a light gear set so that you can definitely be stealthy around, well, 
Maybe you've only got three slots. Maybe you've only got two or three slots. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you can kind of set thresholds again to decide how much gear you really care. So do you want to do a dice mechanic for the resource? Or do you would you rather do something where you actually give them slots that can refresh? Maybe per scene or every couple of scenes. So that, again, you're not worried about the minutiae. You know, obviously there's some questions when you do things like, you know, oh, well, you know, I had... You know, a potion of of paralysis. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. You had a potion of paralysis. Well, do I have unlimited potions? No, you had a potion of paralysis. Right, right, right. You know, and that's where things can sometimes be a little different when those weights come in. Uh, I I can I can really see using that diminishing die mechanic Mm -hmm. is really good for like ammo counting. Yeah. Um. Because I, I think so many times uh, in games, uh, especially like I, I was reading a Reddit thread earlier about, you know, about people who do this in D&D, you know, do you or don't you count ammunition? You know, there's a slot usually on, on character sheets for how many arrows you've got. Mm-hmm. Do we ever use that? You know, and it seems very binary. Either you're going to use it or you're and, and you're going to count every last arrow individually or you're just not going to use it at all, and mm-hmm. you've got infinite arrows, effectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but something like this seems seems easy enough and quick enough. Yeah. You could even roll it in with your to-hit roll. Mm-hmm. You know, roll all the dice together, and if that thing comes up under that threshold, whatever that threshold may be, yeah. you know you've, you've expended some resources, and you know you're rolling the next lower die. Yeah, until you replenish it. Exactly. And then you, the ex- expending for replenishing it is a certain cost. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I like the idea of rolling with it, definitely. Um, and obviously, for the based upon the game system that you're playing in, the style, you might want to set the, the initial die rolls lower just because resources are tight. Sure. You know, maybe every time they buy it, it only goes up one die pool. Mm-hmm. You know, so now you run the risk of like, ooh... Uh, I'm going to have to expend a lot of money if I want to get it up back up to a D20. Yeah. Yep. You know, and that now becomes a question. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's it sets you a resource that is can be switched between systems easily and set something that adds a little extra stress. Just a touch. Just a touch. Just a touch. Just a touch, yeah. So. Without without obnoxious levels of bookkeeping. Exactly. No, I exactly. like it. I like it. What you got for me? Sell me uh, something. Okay. Rob. In your uh, your time running games and mm-hmm, such like that, mm-hmm. um, I know you've you've run uh, multiple different styles of games that have handled combat differently. Oh God, yes. You've run uh, several that have been theater of the mind eye. Very much so. Okay, and you've run several that uh, we'll say several, but m- mostly D and D that have involved things like grids and miniatures and very uh, finite things. Yeah, tactical, mm-hmm. um, very measured movement. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, what if I were to offer you an alternative that is an in-between of that, that pulls a little out of theater of the mind's eye and gives you something a little more concrete for the players to look at, but doesn't go so far as the minutia of five foot squares. All right. All right. Let me offer you then zones. Ooh, zones. I like the words. Okay. All right. Now this comes from fate. Okay. Cortex uses this to an extent, uh, and Modifius kind of also uses it, because uh, we're going to be talking a little, also a little bit about zone aspects as mm, well. This okay. does sound like fate. All right. So, um, it's a good halfway point, as like I said, between t- tactical and theater of the mind uh, uh, here. Um, and what we're talking about essentially is think of your house. Sure. Okay. Now we could 
take a map of your house and break it up into a bunch of five foot squares. You know, your living room is, you know, so many squares across by so many squares deep. Mm -hmm. Then you've got your hallway, which is like a five foot square wide and so many long, Mm -hmm. you know, your dining room is over here and that's a, that's a big grid, Mm -hmm. et cetera. What if we just broke it up into living room, dining room, back of the house? Okay. Simple. Three zones, and maybe one for outside. Maybe that's even too many. Maybe mm-hmm. inside and outside. I like that. Okay. okay. Now, what the advantage of this is, essentially, is that if you're in the same zone as someone, you are assumed to have melee contact with them reasonably. Sure. Okay? You don't have to worry about, can I move three squares over, get in you know, base-to-base contact with them? We're not trying to play Warhammer here. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're just trying to quickly describe areas of combat that are distinct from one another. You would say the inside of your house is distinct from the outside of your house, right? Easily. It could easily have different conditions attached to it. The outside may not be very well lit, but the inside has all the lights on, right? Sure. So combat in both of those zones would be different by Mm -hmm. necessity. But you might have a combat brawling across the two of them. You might have attackers outside while you are defending inside. Mm -hmm. Your conditions are different than them. Yep. Okay? So, not only do the zones give you a good abstract for physical location, Mm -hmm. but then we're going to talk a little bit about zone aspects. Okay. Okay. And these are descriptors that will go on various zones. Gotcha. Now, aspects is something that goes much deeper in Cortex and Fate and such like that. Um, But we're only going to skim the surface here. Sure. Okay. So, in our example here... Your attackers are outside where it is dark mm-hmm. because it gets dark at 530 here in Michigan. Now. Of course it does. Um, so what do you say we, we break this up into zones? We've got inside and outside. Okay. And the outside zone has the aspect darkness. Oh, okay. Okay. Now we're not going to say that this is a bonus or it's a penalty or anything like that because we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. But anytime we're going to do an action out there, we're going to think... Okay, the, you're you're in this outside zone, and this outside zone says it is dark. Mm-hmm. Is what you're trying to do helped or hindered by the fact that there is darkness in this zone? It's a good question. Okay. Now, we can take these aspects, and we can extrapolate them into a bonus or a penalty within our certain game system. Okay. Okay? So, are we trying to stealth? Well, obviously, cover of darkness is going to help that. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to sneak up on one of our attackers outside, I'm going to get a bonus because darkness is an aspect in that zone. All right. All right. Okay. Now, if I'm going to try to shoot somebody out there, though, um, it's going to be a little tricky to see them. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's going to be a little harder to, to hit them. Darkness is going to be a penalty for me. Mm. Now, we've got a couple different ways we can do this. Modifius says that we're going to stack multiple darknesses. Okay. How dark is it? One dark might just be dim light. Three darks might be pitch black. Okay. Okay. And that's going to, each one of those is basically going to be a penalty. Gotcha. Okay. A stacking penalty. So if we're in a target number system, maybe each one of those is minus five to hit. Mm Mm-hmm. So you can see how darkness quickly adds up to like minus 15 to hit or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know? Um Cortex says these things are assigned a die type. And when you when they come into play, you roll them and they either add or subtract to your roll. Okay. So 
I'm going to offer you that because I think it's a very flexible system. Yeah. For for getting a little visual, mm-hmm. but not getting too deep. No, it, it gives just enough on the table for the people who don't hear everything mm-hmm. or or maybe are, are are trying to calculate in their own head some tactics and may have missed a comment about something. Yeah. Like, this guy is behind cover or this group, you know, this area is in fog. Mm-hmm. Now now there's something on the table that says fog. Exactly. And that's that's the great thing is that since we're not getting down to the nitty gritty of, you know, you can get miniatures mm-hmm. and stuff that to represent the individual characters, mm-hmm. but we don't have to put out terrain. We right. don't have to make grids right. and, you know, spend 15 minutes drawing on a little thing with a dry erase marker or anything like that. Yep. We put out a white piece of eight and a half by 11 paper. Just we write zone one and zone two on it and keep some three by five cards handy Yeah, to just jot down the word darkness and put it in the zone. So uh, as, this is effectively how we played uh, Bulldogs at, uh, at Gen Con. Yeah, is that, that There sense. was literally just zones of like, this is the spaceship. Mm-hmm. This is the hold. Okay. Uh, the gravity systems are off and the stuff that you're trying to transport that's in the back is now floating around. So we're going to put uh, low no gravity. No gravity and, and uh, a cargo debris. And cargo debris. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, so how are we going to make sure that this doesn't get messed up? You know, like, okay, well, one of our players literally said, uh, well, uh, I'm my character has an aspect of being able to be uh, any shape that he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Right? He's basically a blob, effectively. Uh, I think he was a cephalopod, actually. And, okay. And like, but could stretch. I'm into it. And so he's like, so what I'm going to do is with two of my things, I'm going to grab the thing, and then I'm going to stretch out and touch and grab as much of the hull as I can mm-hmm. and basically create myself into a strapped system to hold it in place. Oh, nice. Okay. So you're going to... You're, you're going to... Uh, gyroscopically hold it in position. So we're going to put on the box gyroscope. Okay. You know, you're, you're the gyroscope. And that's now an effect on that box. Awesome. So anything that affects a box now has to deal with that. And I was like, okay, because it gave us all a really clear visual on a, 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 of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Even though everything was abstract as it was moving. And then when another ship started to affect us, now we had other effects that were going on there, and they could these aspects could grow, yes. but it never got out of hand. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing I did like about that was <clears throat> you didn't have to like affect the, the other people in the scene. You could affect an aspect. Yes, you know, like I could shoot out the lights, so now it becomes dark. Yep. You so, can create aspects on correct. the scene. You can remove aspects like breaking up debris that somebody might be using as cover. Mm-hmm. Or change the aspects completely. And that really changes your perception of what you can do. It makes it adds so many more so much more of a dimension than just I need to reduce my enemy's hit points to zero. Correct. And it it lets you see that. Yes. It lets you see all those aspects yes. that are out there. Literally the aspects. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, all right, Rob, what do you got? Hmm. Okay. I know you have for a long time wanted to run a game that basically none of your players would be able to play. Something that was like a horror game, like a a horror, Call of Cthulhu, something very gritty, something, something that has that. And yet one of the hardest entry points for something like that is just getting people to go into the system. 
sure. alone because there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And it's it's a big change to get over that. What if I could give you a mechanic that would let you have a flavor into that? Let your players taste it in just a, in a scene or in a couple of or a specific adventure. Uh I am I'm intrigued. I'd like to hear more. Okay. So this comes out of the concept from uh, actual Legend of the Five Rings or Alien. And that is, is having a effectively like a complication system. In this case, uh, with Legend of the Five Rings, it was strife. Okay. In Alien, it is stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade had hunger back in the day. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is that you have a status, something that is building, that is causing complications. In the case of uh, horror... You might have fear or insanity okay, or okay. sanity as something. So whenever you're in a situation that would trigger it, in the case of uh, Alien, anytime you saw a xenomorph would, oh, yeah, clearly. Or, or it came up on a device or you saw it on a screen, you have to roll a stress die. Mm-hmm. And that stress die, uh, if it comes up a six, you're fine. But if it comes up a one... Now you've got a problem. You've raised your stress level. Now you have two stress dice. Anything else in between sits on a chart. Some of the things are very mild. They're role-playing based. Maybe you're starting to sweat. Mm -hmm. Maybe your hands are shaking. They're not affecting you yet, but it's there. Everyone can see it. Everyone can feel it. The second thing is, is once you get to a point where you're rolling so much stress... Everyone else has to roll stress dice whenever you roll stress dice. Because you're getting so freaked out that you're setting everyone else's teeth on edge. Correct. Yep. So it's a a constant build. In the case of Legend of the Five Rings, with Strife, it's very similar, except it is the honorific. Meaning when I'm fighting someone else, right? Somebody who I consider an enemy... I must roll my strife to try and keep my composure. Because mm-hmm. if I break composure, I get sloppy. I'm not being my best self. Right, right. Now, that lends into the same thing. Other people will look at you differently. Maybe you say something you shouldn't have said. Maybe you say it an improper way. Maybe you break just a bit of that wall. But either way, strife builds. Mm-hmm. Hunger is the same way with, you know, that bloodlust. Seeing blood is one thing. Smelling it is another. How long can you wait? Right, right, right. Before the beast comes out. And those types of things can give a flavor to a specific portion of an adventure. Like, I could see someone doing just a, ju- using just this mechanic for an adventure that drives them into a cold environment. Mm-hmm. That cold coming in. Not... Not even necessarily being cold, but feeling it in your bones. Oh, okay, okay. The chill, you could call it it. almost. Where it's that situation where sometimes you're like, yeah, I might have resistance to it, but even if I'm staring at someone who's cold, my teeth will start to chatter. Mm -hmm. No different than if I'm watching someone eat a, a Twinkie, I might start making mouth faces at them because I'm interested in what it tastes like. (laughs) You know, it's things like that that we compulsively do that's embedded in our psyche that breaks us down slowly. Right, right. So you can put this mechanic in to be something that you need to help enforce a feeling. 
okay. a direction okay. for something with with it being both a role playing mechanic but also a building mechanic. Mm-hmm. Now the question is, is how do I break that down? Once it's there, how do yeah. I get rid of it? And this is where you turn role playing back on its on its head, as you say. The only way to take care of these is to find comfort. Mm-hmm. How does your character find comfort? Now. That's up to you how you want to roll those in. Obviously, with something like stress or strife, you know, depends on the situation. Maybe in Lich of the Five Rings, maybe it's a tea ceremony. Maybe you go pray or meditate. Sure. But sure. either way, it's a role playing action that is that is determined and must occur. Mm-hmm. It must take time. It must be something your character has to do, and then it reduces a level of it. Yeah. Right. 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 Only a level. So. If it's bad, it's bad. Mm-hmm. But you could just as easily have a night where everything's been really stressful and you guys finally get to a point and you guys play a game of charades together mm-hmm. to help break the tension and just take it down a notch. And that takes care of most people, but maybe not everybody. Yeah, right on. So a little fun, a little extra mechanic, but something to add on and could be removed immediately the next adventure. Yeah, and I, I think it's e- that's easy enough to, 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 to transplant, transplant into multiple games. I think I think it works well in a dice pool system because you add those dice into your dice pool. Um, but I could definitely see this uh, working even with something like Dungeons & Dragons where, uh, you know, you may you may add those, those dice to any D20 roll, you know, a mm-hmm. number of D6 or something like that. Those D6 don't matter... Unless they come up as ones, basically. Correct. You know, so if I'm I'm rolling a stealth check or something like that, DC 15, I'm going to roll my D20, but I'm also going to roll my two stress dice. And if they don't come up ones, that's fine. We just ignore them. Mm-hmm. But if they do come up ones, mm-hmm. something bad happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it could break you. Uh, I The one that got me on this one was somebody who was using it in D&D that every time uh, it was, uh, how did they do it? Uh, every time something died. Mm-hmm. In a scene that there was death, everyone who witnessed it had to roll a stress die. Oh yeah, yeah, because it was stressful. I'll tell you what that's a that's a quick way to to curtail murder hoboing mm-hmm. in your uh, in in your in your party. Yeah, yeah, justifying murder and also not feeling any kind of remorse or stress from it. No, no, that's. You know, that that's a way to, to pull it back just a little bit. The other is is that the the person said, Well, you shouldn't have done stress, you should have done honor. Hmm. In the same like strife. Where, yeah, you just you just witnessed murder or you were just involved in murder. Now you know. You're acting differently. Yep. And yep. That changes you as a person. Yeah, I can see it. I can yep. see it. Yep. Alright, you wanna go one more round? Um you know, we have some that our, our listeners sent us. Yeah. I'd like to get through some of these, because some of these are, are really great systems that I want to talk a little bit about. Sure, absolutely. And I could easily see us going 20 minutes into this. All right, so from our from our our, our, uh, our, our listeners slip, uh, uh, submitted ones from the Discord, yeah, Tim Thank you, Saucer submitted, uh, there's a uh, cipher system game called Predation okay. by Shauna Germain okay. that gives every player character a dinosaur companion. I love this already. <laughs> These companions have a small set of actions, and your player has to roll to determine if the companion follows your constructions or not <laughs> uh, as you progress through the game your bond gets stronger and it gets easier to control okay. the really fun part of the system is that you hand the character sheet to your companion uh, for your companion to the person to your right they get to decide how that companion acts and reacts to your character 
you might well roll on your command to your tiny lizard to go steal the sleeping guard's key and bring it back, but then the next player, the, the player next to you could decide that just before dropping the keys, the lizard also vomits all over said keys. Hmm. It's a really fun mechanic. Well, I guess if you consider vomiting all over the keys, fun. Especially <sighs> if you have a group of players who wants to adopt everything they see. I, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I, I I always thought it was weird to, to hand companions and stuff to, to the players next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, if everyone has one, it's... I, I think that makes a difference. Like, early on, I can't remember what it was. I want to say it was probably D&D 2nd Edition. Um, familiars mm-hmm. were, were a physical thing uh, that could react and were intelligent. So all familiars got handed to the person next to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And that way, it was the same type of thing. It was just more loosey-goosey on mm-hmm. how it worked. And it was fun and interesting for a role playing aspect from a gameplay aspect and eh, it didn't quite work out nearly as well but i could see how this is that this would be interesting that the system itself literally says like they control it which means they can add aspects to it and that's kind of cool I, I i like it i could i could see some shenanigans going on like i rolled really well and that you did this thing that clearly screwed it up yeah 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 you know it's like <sighs> but at the same time like as a group, do you really want that? Well, I, th- I think I, I think there's there's a certain bit of uh, like the, the dice will handle a certain will absorb some of that blow. Like I would agree. You, if you roll and you succeed, you know it's just the person next to you who's getting to narrate it. You know, so there's right. only so much they can screw up because the dice have already said you succeeded. That's true. That know? is very true. Um, or or failed one way or another. Right. You know, they're just adding their their own flair and flavor mm-hmm. to it because it's an because it's a character that is outside of your own control. Correct. Correct. Um, two things this actually brings to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, first off the um the super powered character from Kids on Bikes. Yes. Um, yes. Where everybody gets a say. Uh, but they get a say in a different aspect of that character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if that character's love of video games comes up. The right. person who's holding the video game card gets to say what the super powered character does. Right, right. You know, if their love of ego waffles comes up, you right, know. Right, right. Or if it's, you know, uh, if a uh, if a supernatural threat shows up, it, this person gets to do something about yes, it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the other thing this reminds me a lot of is, uh, did you ever play Wraith the Oblivion? The game I never by White played Wolf it. I know of it. I actually have a book of it upstairs. Same. Yeah. Same. Never, never got to play it, but have the book. Um... Your character in that has a shadow, yes, which is a dark aspect of their own psyche that kind of tries to get them in trouble and can actually assert control, almost mm-hmm. like a multiple personality sort of thing, you yep. know, yep. over over you and and just run you amok, mm-hmm. um, get you into all sorts of trouble, and then just just hand you the reins of control of your character back over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it followed the exact same sort of thing where you had another player player at your at your table playing your shadow for you so that they could torment you. You didn't have to sit there and torment yourself. Right, right, you know? right. No, I, I remember that now that you mentioned it. It's it, I, I, it's a dark thing, but at the same time, a lot of role play. Sure. A lot of role play sure. that. You know, yeah. and, and I think it shows the flexibility of a system like this. Mm-hmm. You know, this one, you've got a cute little dinosaur companion like a Pokemon. It's adorable. And it's adorable, and it's I... fun to play other people's characters. And then you've got the dark aspects of it from Wraith. I could see you... In uh, running this in the uh, Monster Hunter, oh, Monster yes, Care Squad, and the Palico gets handed to the neighbor. Oh, that would be great. 
I think that would be you roll for your Palico, but what happens with the Palico is the yeah the person next to you, and then I would one hundred percent say that the group would uh, the group would do the handler mm-hmm. aspects of the handler. Yeah, yeah, very nice. I like that. I I I I would totally steal that and use that. All right. So, so the tall halfling has one for us here. I love the character creation system in Ten Candles. It could easily be adapted to flesh out characters in other systems. Each player takes an index card and writes down one word virtue, something that the, uh, about a person that solves more problems than it creates. Mm-hmm. And they take a second card and write down a vice, which creates more problems than it solves. And then you pass your virtue to the player in your right, and you pass your vice to the player in the left. So now you have a virtue and a vice, each created by someone else, and you need to figure out how these two traits coexist in your character. There's more than that in Ten Candles. Uh, but I think it is a, a great system. I remember in 7C, uh, the system where you could uh, effectively uh, do a tarot uh, draw for yeah. your uh, for your virtue and hubris. Mm-hmm. Um, it's same, very similar thing. But having doing character design at a table um, is always a neat thing. Uh, like uh, City of Mist, yeah, uh, or, or Urban Shadows, probably more than City of Mist. I would say Urban Shadows, um, where you're creating this character, and in your mind, you're not necessarily thinking about virtues, virtues and vices, mm-hmm. but to have someone listening to you, and then everybody's writing down little things and passing them off. Now that they've heard everybody at the table, yeah, yeah, like I'm to your right, so I I can think of a virtue that would come out, but to my left is somebody, yeah, this is your vice. Mm-hmm. Like, I I know what your vice is. I like that concept, because I think, I think doing session zeros where everybody's listening in and then kicking those types of things out is a really cool way of handling stuff like that. I, I, I not only like that for, for all those aspects, but I, I, I think it's, it's uh, a really interesting character study to have your virtue and vice handed to you rather than something you conceive of yourself because when you conceive of it yourself you you you, you kind of take them for granted because you've already got kind of an idea of what your character looks like in your head mm-hmm. you know but when you're handed something like that it forces you to engage with it by thinking about like oh how do i incorporate this into my character what does it mean for my character now that their vice is this and how bad is it and how bad is it yeah yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah i like really, that really like that yeah i like that that's a cool one. All right, so Nevim throws in, uh, in Free League Monster Year Zero engine, mm-hmm. uh, there is a pushing mechanic. The mechanic has changed uh, in their different games. Um, I like the system in Coriolis, where when pushing, a, t- uh, a token is given to the DM to bring no good later on in the game. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like kind of like the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the the trouble and, uh, and momentum yes. um, sort of thing here. Uh, so they're given a token to the DM to bring no good later on in the game, because uh, I've got a lot of Arabic coins I can use and receive those as a GM. Sure. I think it's great, because uh, Coriolis has a sort of a Arabic space yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, fantasy. It's it's great. Um, how would you incorporate such systems into a game like D&D, like World of Darkness, like Power of the Apocalypse games, Savage Worlds, Call of Cthulhu? So I already first immediately came up with a comparison of this. Mm-hmm. So when uh, when we were playing the Mandalorian game at uh, Gen Con, the uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, the same system that we reviewed, um, there at sitting across the table were these tokens that were flip tokens mm-hmm. of 
uh, light side, dark side. And I could easily see this mechanic being applied in tokenless games, where you're, where it's not a matter of you're passing in tokens, but literally is I'm pushing, I'm flipping. Mm-hmm. And now it's dark side, so now that is available for the DM to flip back. Yep, yep. And you could do the same thing in in uh, in D and D and say I'm I'm buying a point of inspiration. Right. I want advantage on this roll. Right. So advantage. Inspir- I need a point of inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know anything like that? You could or I want to get rid of disadvantage on yeah. this roll. I want to flip. Yep. And so now you know that later on they can use the same thing. Like oh. The monster is rolling with advantage. Yes, exactly. The vampire has the drop on you and... (laughs) Is rolling with advantage. Yep. You know, or, oh, I missed it by two. I'll just inspire him. Yep. And boom, now it's right back into the game. And I liked the, I like the flipping in, uh, in, uh, in the, in using that flip in, uh, Star Wars in the sense that it then made it available to be flipped by the other side and right, removed right, it right. from yours. So that aspect of it where you're where it's a give and take of mm-hmm. the same thing I think can be applied pretty much across the board with a lot of systems. Yeah, and I, and I think it's pretty easy to, to translate over. Like you said, like in D&D, it's very easy to buy like an extra D20. So, you know, disadvantage becomes a straight roll, a straight roll becomes advantage, sort of things like that. Um, you know, World of Darkness, I think it's easy to, uh, to you know, put an extra, extra a couple, uh, uh, one or more D10 into your, uh, into your die pool. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe uh, use, use it as expendable willpower or something like that, you know? I, I see, I think willpower is a good... There's there are kind of pushes in World of Darkness, mm-hmm. maybe not the most current one. Uh yeah, I'm not I'm, well, not, I'm not big on, on the new one. On, on the new on the new um, one, unfortunately. Powered by the Apocalypse games, I could easily see doing the flip very simply. Yeah, you could do something like, you know, take take a what, success. Uh plus one forward or something like that yeah. um for it. Uh, uh Call of Cthulhu, um you could do successes. You could just straight up do successes. Yeah. You get a success on this. Yeah. You know, you know there's a cost, but there's a success mm-hmm. here. Yeah. I could easily see it translated that way. Uh, in Savage Worlds, because um, you kind of, you've kind of already have bennies for this. Mm-hmm. But you could buy a Benny. You could buy bennies with it. Um, they're, they're, Savage Worlds, the, this system doesn't, I would say, doesn't work as well in Savage Worlds simply because Savage Worlds actually already has... Um, mm-hmm. A uh, uh, setting a setting rule mm-hmm. um, called to difficult choices. I want to say it is mm-hmm. where when you spend a Benny, it goes into the storyteller's pocket like, instead of like drama dice in Seven C. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. It it creates that give and take already. So there's actually already a mechanic for this in Savage Worlds. It's just an optional rule. Yeah, but when you're out of Bennies, is there a way to buy? Because I thought there was at a cost. I thought that was a thing. Like an optional rule in Savage no, World. No, not really. That would be an interesting one to add. At a cost would be an interesting one. Like when you buy it, it actually costs you two. Like the storyteller gets two. Hmm. Yeah, you could you could definitely do something like that. Yeah, because then you like know that. you've 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 put too much into the pot, kind right, of a thing. Right, so. right, right, right. Um, because I know in uh, Urban Shadows there are some things for this that would advance the clock. Uh, or that uh, upgrade story monsters, mm-hmm. you know, things like that where, like, yeah, you just caused a bigger problem to get past this one. Yep. 
So yep, yep, yep. Very it's much like a, so. The, the, the devil's bargain uh, uh, sort of mechanic from uh, for, uh, Forge in the Dark. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. All right. So Sci-Fi Tough Guy uh, sent us. Uh, so it sounds pretty similar to story points in the Genesis RPG system. Players, storyteller, each start with a story point that they can use to affect a die roll or come up with something in the game to benefit the players or the party. Once spent, the point flips to the storyteller. Yep, sounds just like it. Yep, yep. Storyteller can then use similar things when they spend it and flips back. This also sounds a little bit like dramatic editing. Yeah, it's got it's definitely got aspects of that in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and dramatic editing, I know, is one of uh, your favorites and also my I favorite do love from it. I love it. Uh, Adventure Tales of the mm-hmm. Hand Society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's simply you can you can also do this with uh, with Benny's a little bit. In, sure, uh, though not as not as a well rounded system. There's just kind of one line of text that kind of suggests that you can affect the scene in some way. Right. Whereas Adventure has a full fleshed out like two page sprawl of how to do this. Yeah, and I would honestly say, Sci-Fi Tough Guy, you may want to look at Adventure for some guidelines. Uh, no, be- that that said, mm-hmm. um, the new Adventure book is just coming out. I actually Ooh. got my, my um, uh, notification from the Kickstarter asking Ooh. me to make sure that my shipping address was correct. Your backer and such? Book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I will say, look at the old book because I don't know what's in the new book right, yet. Right, right. Um, <laughs> as far as dramatic editing goes. But... The idea is you have a meta currency. In Adventure, it was inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you might have bennies, you might have drama die, you might have whatever, fate points. Sure. Um, and you spend those to essentially speak into truth something in the scene. You know, uh, a great example from the Adventure book is something like, uh, okay, so the goons are are coming into the front of this building where you guys are attending a party, and they're armed to the teeth, and you know there's going to be trouble, and then you know they're looking for you. What are you guys going to do? And your options essentially are stay there and fight, mm-hmm. or, you know... Try and s- flee. Sneak out the back, maybe, you know, but they're, they probably have the exits covered. So someone spends some inspiration and says, okay, I'm going to dramatically edit the scene, and we're going to say that one of my contacts was the architect of this building. And so I'm familiar because I helped fund the construction of this building, and I know that there's a dumbwaiter that goes down to a set of tunnels that lead to the sewers because they had to tie that into the floor plan, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so I know about the secret escape route that mm-hmm. we can use. You spend your currency and the storyteller goes, okay, now there's a secret escape route mm-hmm. because you helped build this building. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's similar to the, uh, the water wall scene in, uh, the first, uh, matrix where they break through the wall and start crawling down through the building to get away from the agents and all the police. Yeah. 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 It's exactly. a sim- so like, I know there's a, I know this is the water wall in an old buildings that was at least, you know, three feet wide, but mm-hmm. it's just wide enough for us to climb down to the entire building. But, but the, the idea though, is you've spent the currency. And so therefore the storyteller is not going to say no. no, they're going to, they're going to yes. And it. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, because that's an ability you have to just say, this is a fact now. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and of course, you know, within reason. Sure, sure, so. sure, sure. Uh, all right, so Violent Menace mm-hmm. uh, pulls up Cortex Prime, and I, I can I just say too, like I mentioned this to you before mm-hmm. we were putting together the, sh- the 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 show notes for tonight. Anytime Violent Menace posts about Cortex, it makes me want to play, pull out the Cortex book, and and build a system off of it. Yeah, 
more. I say play Cortex. You can't. You don't, you don't really play Cortex. You build with Cortex and you play with the result. We always have to remind that yeah. that's what you're doing. <laughs> it's a it is cool, set. but it is literally a Lego box full of parts. <laughs> um, but it makes it sound so good. Yeah. Um, I love that in Cortex, a simple NPC can just be represented by a single die. Like, this is a D12 assassin. He's, i.e., he's very good assassin, who is a good, uh, good at assassin type stuff, not good at other stuff. Makes coming up with enemies on the fly as easy as pumpkin pie. That is true. That is exceptionally true. I don't know how easy pumpkin pie is. I'm just going to put that out there. But I will say this I is had a some great pumpkin way. pumpkin pie earlier tonight. It was pretty easy. Okay, that's pretty cool. Nice and smooth, very tasty. Mm-hmm. But I, but I like the concept that you don't have to go into heavy detail to say yeah. this person is good at X. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is actually something. Um, I, I think this this extrapolates two different ways. Sure. Okay. First off, um, this is also, as I mentioned earlier, how Cortex handles zone aspects. Sure. So you wouldn't have darkness. You would have D8 darkness or D12 darkness or right. just D4 darkness. Sure. It's a little dim. You roll a D4, and if it comes up, you know, it's either a bonus or a or or a, or a penalty, depending on which what you're trying to do in that sure. darkness. This is a D12 assassin. Mm-hmm. He does the same thing. When mm-hmm. he's doing assassin things, mm-hmm. he's, he's a D12. He's a D12 for it, you know. Right. The other way that this kind of extrapolates is this comes very close to how I throw together NPCs in my Savage Worlds game. Sure. Because you... You know, in something like D&D, you kind of, you know, you're encouraged to make these big stat blocks because that's how they're given to you in sure. the monster manual. Sure. It's these full fleshed out stat blocks. Now, there's still half a character sheet. They still don't look like a full fledged PC, but all of their stats are there. All of their skills are there. All of their spells or special abilities and equipment are there and stuff like that. There's nothing stopping you from just going, this dude's a mage. He's got a D12 in magic. There you go. And probably, I don't know, like a D6 in Notice and a D4 in Stealth. Cool. Done. That's your entire staff. You don't need to know anything else about this guy. Yeah. You know? Now, at the same regard, I also see this as a, you know, the thing, whatever it is, is a, you know, is a, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a D12 in Assassin. Is it a Master Assassin? Okay. Then when it rolls any of its Assassin abilities, it also rolls a D6. Otherwise, it doesn't. Yeah. Like, okay, that's dangerous as all get out because it's that's kind of like almost a wild card at that yeah, point. It's a wild card, but only if it's shiving somebody. Right, right. Yeah, but yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That adds a certain level of weight it to does. it. It does. And changes the whole way things work. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I like I like that for quick stuff. I don't think it necessarily works in the more crunchier systems where you're trying to just say, you know, I, where you might have to have other details because everything else is about the details. The combat is about the details. But I will say for anything that doesn't, when you need a quick NPC, like, I need a blacksmith. What is he good at? Blacksmith. That's what he's good at. Right. That's his one skill that he's good at. My job is literally beach. <laughs> so so instead of having a giant skill list, right, it's blacksmith. Is it re- It's what you're talking about related to blacksmith. Is he selling a sword? That's a blacksmith thing. Mm-hmm. You know, on the other hand, are you asking him about where, you know, what's going on with the, the, the prince? He that just doesn't sound very blacksmithy. Nope. So he doesn't roll. 
Wait, are we talking about the prince buying weapons totally from the blacksmith? Now blacksmithy things. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that's the way you can also look at other NPCs. You don't even, like, as a full-fledged mechanic, you don't even have to use this. You just have to use it as a storyteller of, like, anything that's not the nitty-gritty of my game, this is the type of system I'm going to do. Yeah. I don't need a stat block for anyone else. Yeah. If you're going to try and do something complex to them, all you have to think about is, is this their job role? Mm-hmm. Then I roll. If it isn't, then it's just a a standard check. That's it. On a scale of crappy to expert, how good are they at the thing they do? That's that's what you use for the dice mechanic in your particular system. Yep. Mm -hmm. Simple and easy. Love it. Love it. All right. So Philly fan adds, uh, I'm a big fan of Delta Green's rules for home uh, scenes, vignettes, and downtime. Uh, Your options vary from creating and maintaining bonds improving or other stats, all of which can have story and gameplay elements to them. Each downtime activity has a check associated with it so that it can improve your stats, such as regaining sanity by passing a sanity check or improving a skill by failing a skill check. But they almost always come with a drawback, such as a fumbled check resulting in sanity loss or losing bond strength because the responsibility is lapsing while pursuing training. It gives mechanical and narrative meaning to the time between adventures and helps players develop who their character, uh, who the characters are as people away from their job and how that job affects their relationships. Okay. Immediately, I thought of Mouse Guard. Yeah. And this is an extrapolation on spending checks during the player's turn. This is basically the player's turn, yeah. But it gives a second piece to that mechanic that it it is missing, mm-hmm. is that I'm spending this check to get rid of my anger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did I succeed? No. Okay. You're not just angry now then. Yeah. Now you're tired too. Yeah. Because yeah. it didn't work. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you tried to sleep it off and you couldn't. Okay. Why couldn't you sleep it off? Mm-hmm. What kept you awake? You yeah. Know, now you have to explain that. Now let's tell some you stories. Know, or yeah. at the same time, like, okay, I'm going to go improve my, uh, my battle skill. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to go fence and train. Okay. Uh, give me a roll on that. Ooh, you failed. Well, you did learn mm-hmm. what you were doing, but at the same time, at what cost? Who did you miss? What ev- what event didn't you make it to? Who who did you put off yeah. by doing this? Yeah, who's not mad but they're disappointed? Yeah. Which one of your <laughs> which one of your circles just got a little bit grayer? Yeah, with them. See, I really, I really like this. Um, I like everything about this because I think for so long, I, I always think back to like um, when we first started role playing. You know, yeah. Um, back when D anD D was all we knew, and like you just miraculously get new stuff when you level up. Yeah, you know. Um, but there were certain storytellers I know of that would want they wanted to incorporate stuff like this into yeah. their games. Yeah. And I heard a number of times where like, oh yeah, I have a house rule where you can't use an ability unless you've trained in it. Yeah. You know? So like, yeah, okay, you have access to Monk's Step of the Wind ability, but have you found a trainer to teach it to you yet? Yeah. So that you can have it. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I, I think things like this is really good incorporating these sort of, uh, downtimes and trainings and whatnot in there. I think it's great to have that life away from, from just doing the missions, especially in something like Delta Green, where it's very mission based. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I I love aspects of building characters into more (laughs) lifelike people than just a stat block, you know? Yeah. 
I, the 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 thing that complicated complicated in the past was there was no guidelines, mm-hmm. so it was like oh you have to train in this, and even like seven C first edition it was if you wanted to get past a certain level of your things you had to go find someone equal to or better than you at the thing, and and the problem with that is then that's storyteller fiat yeah right there's nothing I can do as a player to make that happen. Mm-mm. It only happens if you say, yes, this NPC exists and he's accessible to you. Right. If you never give me access to him, guess what? I'm SOL. Right. You know? But if I say, I'm going to go do this to improve my gunplay. Okay, there's rules for it right here. Roll some dice, you know? What, you know, oh, great. You did a great job and it worked out in your favor. Cool, Uh, you're plus one to guns now. You know, in fact, while you were at the gun range, who who was there with you? Mm-hmm. And that you had such a good time with. Who's impressed and yeah. now is a contact of yours? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Did did you get a marksman award for this? Because yeah. you did so well. You know, okay. That kind of a stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and now you're recognized as a marksman. In fact, as a marksman, now you have access to other firearms. Yeah. You know, I think things, it's great. I, I, I love that concept. I love that it, it adds that aspect to it and gives it a definition to help it and it's a simple definition it's, it's not even that complicated super easy to translate barely into so many different games yeah exactly <laughs> i All think right. we did well i hope everyone had fun with us selling each other the mechanics and uh look through it i would say uh keep your eye on our instagram if you're still interested in seeing more mechanics and and keeping a card list of, of different ones I'll yeah because we, them we up only there. scratched the surface of, of yeah. the list we've got compiled here i so. think i think i'm gonna i think i so far have God, I'm gonna say something like 18 that are right now almost that are that are gonna go up. Uh, it might expand a little bit on there uh, as I start to see because some of these I didn't even know about, and I'll be going to doing some research on them yeah, to sure. add them to our list. Absolutely. Uh, but that way, you guys can use Instagram as kind of like your DM card deck of ideas. Yeah, right on. So, all right. So next week's topic, uh, we are gonna be talking about the core gameplay loop. Yeah, uh, it's often referred to as the compulsion loop when I've you're talking. Never about... heard it referred to as the compulsion loop. So uh, it took me looking up. Um, game design and game theory mm-hmm. to hear that term but as soon as i looked up compulsion loop it was everywhere in game design so you're telling me it's a game theory it is it is totally a game theory okay okay uh but yeah that whole concept that there is a core loop a triangle often is the way that it goes All right, of... you you get the mission you do the mission you return from the mission to get your reward you get another mission that is one of the compulsion loops yeah the other is uh you know have a problem get a thing get some serotonin have a problem get a thing get some serotonin and is the <laughs> other part of that loop and it's a thing and what we're going to discuss is is there narrative aspects to this loop? Is it more than just the competitive and goals and gold and things like that? And can we talk about these loops and extract them to make our adventures better and draw our players in mm-hmm. and understand them at a at a higher level? All right. So. Well, and in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear you join the discussion, talk to the other great storytellers that are up there, bounce some campaign ideas off on them, and uh, shoot us some questions for the next show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. 
We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members who help us out every single month. Knox in the Box, Subject, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, Hulavoosh, Sam, Sean, and Sparkle Motion. We appreciate all of your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on YouTube. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is only our footprints in the sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much Thank for you. loving and supporting us. All of our friends who sat at Sutter Tables over these years, we give you these great stories to share with you and you. Every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good, Good night. night.